0: Bible with you if you would if you'd join me as we open it up to the book of Philippians here this morning uh, we're in chapter four which uh, for many of us this is one of our favorite chapters uh, actually in all of the Bible uh, when you start studying and finding those kind of favorite passages and chapters you know this is for me um, right up there with uh, Romans chapter 8 uh, I, I love this chapter and I love going over it Again and again in my own life, I've loved it. Especially, like I said, why it became of of, uh, something that the Lord really brought to heart and mind during COVID was for the simple fact that um, you know Paul was in a situation that he definitely wouldn't have chosen. Um, You know, we thought a lot about during COVID of feeling like we were in prison, that we were trapped in our own home. And uh, here's Paul, the apostle, writing from a Roman prison himself, but yet he's talking about maintaining joy and not losing it. And I know for myself, just, you know, my own thoughts and feelings, but especially in in dealing with people, um, so many people um, feeling isolated, feeling alone, uh, began to deal with things that uh, maybe they thought they had victory over years before in their life, uh, deep-rooted anxiety, and depression, um, all kinds of uh, different things, and yet here you have the apostle Paul experiencing somewhat those those same type of uh, environmental uh, situations, and yet you know, 16 times in this book, uh, he writes about you know continuing to have joy, and that none of those things robbed him of his joy. And so it gets your attention, you know. If you, so if you're experiencing those things, you're looking for solutions, and, and he offers them. All through uh, scripture and so uh, he does that again here in chapter 4 but one of the things I, I love about studying the Bible is some of the lessons that the Lord teaches us they're not just obvious from the text you know like we can say and I've been sharing with you you know first Thessalonians 5 17 says you know rejoice always and you can read that, and you can hold on to that, and you have rejoice always. But then you kind of ask yourself it from time to time. You go, well, how do I do that? I, I know that the Bible says I need to do that, but is there a how-to? And, and Paul lays out some of the how-tos, I believe, here in chapter 4 with regard to joy. How do we maintain joy? And it's through a very unique situation and circumstance that he addresses that in chapter 4. So um, I titled this morning's message, uh, Sure Beats Hell. And uh, again, and that's from, not from a negative connotation. It's actually really what the Apostle Paul is using in a sense. And I'm doing that to kind of plant that thought in your mind. So when you go through those things, um, you know, you have a reference point. You know, we all need little, it's, it's that little checkpoint where you can think of something more, you know, readily. It becomes, it's quicker, you know, to be called to, recalled to your mind. And uh, when I think of sure beats hell. It's in reference to what Paul is talking about, is how to maintain joy and what to remember. And when you understand what he's declaring here, and it's really what the message of the cross is all about, it's what communion offers for us and why we can have joy, but as I tell you often, you know we all tend to forget what we need to remember, and we remember the things that we need to forget. And he addresses that topic specifically here in chapter four as well. And so I'll enjoy as we get into this over the next couple of weeks, we'll, we'll we'll tackle some of these things that hopefully lead in all of our lives to a greater uh, presence of God in our life, a greater sense of His joy. I've never yet met someone who doesn't want more happiness and more joy. And so I look at this, and and you know it's not hard to you know. I know when my wife and I were in Hawaii just a few weeks ago, it wasn't really hard to be happy there. I, I didn't really struggle in the morning waking up to the sound of the ocean breaking right outside of my window. You know, it wasn't wasn't hard to be happy. It's when I came home and it was 109 and the air was dirty and I couldn't hear the ocean any longer. And, and all of a sudden you start, you go, where's my joy? Where's my happiness? And, you know, and here's Paul writing from a prison cell. And, and. As he would declare in his own life, he goes, none of these things move me, you know, nor do I even count my own life dear to me. And so I think there's some things that the Lord would reveal to us today. And so we'll read verses one through four, and uh, we ended in in verse one last week, and we'll go back over that and cover uh, through verse four here this morning. And so I'll invite you to read along with me, and then we'll pray. Uh, It says in verse one, it says, therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Euodia and I implore Sinche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who've labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And let's take a moment and pray. Father, we thank you for your word and uh, Jesus you said it best. You said heaven and earth would pass away, but your word would never pass away. And you said that uh, uh, every jot, every tittle, I mean, there's every I has been dotted, every T has been crossed. There's no accidents in your word. There's no uh, just filler verses or sentences. Everything that's written, your word says, is written for our admonition. Uh, Lord, it, it's, your word is living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And, Lord, I pray today that it would pierce our hearts, Uh, Lord, that it would cut away the things that, uh, Lord, you don't desire there, but that, Lord, we become comfortable with and we've allowed, and that, Lord, you'd replace it with a greater sense of your peace, a greater sense of your presence, a greater sense of your purpose here this morning. I thank you for these that are gathered here in the sanctuary, those that are watching online from home. Uh, May you be with them. May you bless them, Lord. May you... Um, Lord, bring healing uh, for those that that are hurting today, those that are sick and and going through different ailments at home. Um, Lord, those that, um, God, are um, just, whether they be on vacation or just away from uh, fellowship, may they sense a desire of our church family to be together. And we thank you for moments like this. Thank you for a place where we can gather, where we can come together and grow in the knowledge of jesus in our life and to share your love uh, lord jesus with one another help us to recognize uh, lord our gifts help us to recognize the calling that you've placed upon our life that uh, lord we're not just here to go through the motions day by day but lord there's a there's a purpose under heaven uh, lord and god we pray today that you would make that known to us and that lord we would enjoy our fellowship with you that lord not just singing of uh, worship songs and as larry was sharing that that our worship wouldn't be about us that we're not just singing songs that have the me and the I, but lord that our heart this morning would be about you lord about the father the son and the holy spirit and celebrating lord your goodness in our life and so we look forward to what you have for us today lord may you change us from glory to glory god we need transformation lord we need revival, and we pray that, Lord, you would bring it to our land, that you'd bring it to our homes, that you would bring it to our church, and ultimately that you'd bring it to each individual life today. We pray for your glory, as we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, let me ask you a question that you you don't have to answer out loud, but to to think about this this morning, um, when you think about your relationship with Jesus, think about for a moment, what attracted you to him? You know, what is it about Jesus that made you give up everything that this world has in the truest sense and decide to follow him? Like the song, you know, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. You know, because if we if we're like the apostles or the earliest disciples, I think what we would determine that really what drew us to Jesus was his love. It wasn't his wrath. You know, Paul would write in the book of Romans in chapter two and verse four, he says, you know, that it's the kindness of God that leads a man to repentance. It wasn't necessarily, and you'll hear people talk about hell, and, and, and I'm using that actually as a reference in, in my title today, that it sure beats hell, but it's the, it's the love of God that he has for us, not, not his wrath. It wasn't, he didn't try to scare us into heaven. Uh, he loved us into heaven. He loved us so much that he went to a cross. You know, most children will know and they'll talk about this week. You know, John 3:16. for God, what? So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Yeah, his, his love. You know, I think about what the apostle Paul would write in the book of Ephesians and another great book that we reference a lot. In Ephesians chapter three, verses 17 through 19, When Paul was talking about the church there and what his desire for them was, he said this, being rooted and grounded in love. Being rooted and grounded in love. Because we're talking about being standing firm, and we'll look at this. He says, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, you know you hear and, and and obviously God's holiness is is extremely important, amen, and his truth is extremely important, but he doesn't place those above when you think of a word they encompass it but he the the highest ideal ideology when we think about God is love, God is love first John four God is love, and what he, and 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 people can, we can make that emotional and we can make it, you know, just a kind of, how does it make me feel? But that's not really the, the essence of what we're dealing with when we think about his love. It's agape love. It's a sacrificial love. It's a choosing love. It's a it's a one-way love that doesn't expect anything in return. In studying this week, I, I was reading an author that I enjoy, and he was talking about the love of God versus the love of the world. And Basically, he was talking about, you know, that the world loves, the world has a love that it expresses towards one another. But he said, but a, but a love that expects something in return isn't God's kind of love. What that is, is that's a transaction. See, when you do something for someone else expecting someone to do something for you, that's, that's not necessarily love. That's a business transaction. And that's not what God did in sending his son. It wasn't a business transaction we can look at you know righteousness and things of scripture in a business transaction in that sense of accounting purposes but his motivation his nature his character is love and and it's so important that we see that and understand it because again paul addresses it so frequently through all of his writings you know in 1st corinthians chapter 13 you know we we every, almost every wedding that we do we read from that chapter right and at, in verse 13 he says you know But these things, these three remain, you know, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? What did he say it was? Love, his love. And and, and again, and you look at what happens in the life of a church and the things that lead to church division, church splits, you know, people doing their own thing, whatever. It really comes down to, it's not as much as people want to say, well, it's theological. You go, "Mm, probably not. It really ultimately comes down to a lack of love. You know, we want things a certain way. It's when my focus turns on me instead of on you. Because when we think of God's love, remember, it's a one-way love. It's God's love for us. Jesus put it like this in John 13, 35. He said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples because you have love one for another. And you go, and you think about his love. It, it's the singular most important attribute of God. It's not a noun, as people might make it out to be. With God, it's it's a verb. It's action, you know. Do you believe this yourself? Just by a show of hands, how many would agree with this statement? Actions speak louder than words. Would you agree with that? Yeah, most everybody, yeah. You go, and it's true. And And so when you think about the nature of God, and you think about God himself, has anyone ever seen God at any time? Scripture says no one has seen God at any time except the Son, and Jesus then came for the very purpose is to do what? Was to reveal the Father to us, the Father's love, and we love those stories that we hear where we get a glimpse of God, and, and that's exactly what Jesus came to do, and it's why, guess what? You and I are still here that we might know him, right? And the power of his resurrection, And to know God is to love God and to be loved by God. It's such an intimate word when we think about that word, it's not knowledge, it's not head knowledge that God is saying that he wants us to have. And unfortunately that becomes so much of church as we have Bible studies and it's just information. It's just, you know, going on. It's, but it, there's no transformation because it's not relational. But but John chapter 17, you know, when Jesus, you know, again, the Lord's prayer really isn't, you know, the Lord's prayer. That's our prayer. When Jesus taught the disciples to pray, it's our prayer. He says, When you pray, pray in this manner, our Father who art in heaven. But in John chapter 17, he's praying the Lord's prayer because that's his prayer that he's praying for us. And his prayer was what? That we might be one as he and the Father were one, that we might know the love of God. That, that we would come to comprehend that through and through in our life. Uh, as I've shared with you, you know, Damien Kyle, one of my favorite Calvary Chapel pastors, you know, has well said that one of the most difficult things to do in this life is to sin against love. When you love someone, it hurts you. When, when you truly love someone, it hurts to sin against them. It doesn't stop us, unfortunately, because we're sinners and we'll be sinners until the day that we, we meet Jesus face to face. But it definitely minimizes it, it definitely says something about, motivation and the attitude you know of our heart i put in my notes here in bold print you can't just exhort people to love you have to exhibit love and that's what makes love preeminent you know obviously like i said you know god's invisible how are people going to come to see him you know it takes you and i manifesting that love that's in us it's not something that's external It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. When we gave our lives to the Lord, when we were born again, Jesus came to reside in our heart. And he's, in the sense, what is he doing? (laughs) He's trying to get out, right? You know, that Christ is formed in us so that when he's formed in us, it would become the expression of everything that we do outside of us. You know, it's like Jesus said, it's not what goes into the man that defiles him. It's what comes out of the man which defiles him. And so it's so important as you think about this chapter and what he's reiterating here in these first few verses, you know, he, it's, it's, he's exhorting the church, you know, is that remember? you know, God is invisible and, and really it, it takes living out your faith that makes him visible to an unbelieving world. And also it's what makes him visible to one another. I always love, you know, the book of Acts and remember when the Holy Spirit, you know, came upon them. And it says, you know, that they tongues of fire rested upon them, right? They couldn't see it above their own head. They could see it on the head of the other person, right? Or resting above them. They go, hey, you know, it's over you too, you know? And that's the beauty of being in fellowship, you know, together. You know, because it, we can get it so wrong. You know, uh, we have this tendency. Unfortunately, it's the world we live in, and especially our younger generation more so than even our older um, because the further we move away, it's not that it's a deliberate act, it's just the further you move away from God, the, the less in tune, you know, as a country we become to him. And we find this, we hear this term probably, we've heard it more and more this last year, it's called victimization. Is it just so easy? Because if that's what you're around, you know, you, you your focus is on you, you know, and that's, it, it's a small world, you know, uh, and it's not like Disneyland when it becomes that small, because you'll become a very bitter person when your focus becomes on yourself and and paul recognizes that because here's two women in this church that they're in the church and understand this this is a church that paul planted okay that paul shepherded that he pastored that he loves very much as we'll look at here and they're they're creating division in the church because of their inward attitude because bitterness doesn't just impact you it, it will impact everyone that's around you you can't help it you know it's like garbage in what garbage out and, and it's so true and so I think about, you know, First John chapter 4, verse 12, it says, no one has ever seen God. It says, but what, if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. That's what God is desiring to do in, in you as you, and, and we can't, we don't have an out in this to say, well, you know, Pastor Mike, you don't know my circumstances. I go, well, well I don't. And those, and they really don't matter. You know, because everybody's circumstances are different. That's the problem with victimization is you go, oh, if you just knew what I was going through, then it would would," And I go, okay, would it be okay for you to be a bitter person then? Is that what you're saying? You go, absolutely not. It's sinful. And you go, so you're not the model. I'm not the model. Jesus is. And Paul's following that model. That's why he says, be imitators of me as I am of who? Did he say the Pope? No. Did he say Caesar? No. He said, as I am of Christ. Yes, I'm following the Lord. I mean, just think, you know, if the world could look at the church and they saw, as Paul is exhorting the church here, if they saw this nurturing, caring, loving, forgiving people that, that went across all barriers. I mean, you look around even our sanctuary here. We have young, we have old, we have those in the middle. You know, we've got different race, we've got different you know, creed, we've got different socioeconomical status. Uh, that's the beauty of Christ that he's no respecter of persons, that there's the ground at the foot of the cross is equal, amen? There's room for everyone there, and that's what the world needs, because if you look at the world today, you go, what do we see? We see nothing but division, hatred, and strife, but that's what happens when you don't have God at the center of your life. That's what happens when your focus isn't on the things of God, your focus is on the things of this earth. You know, it's what we talked about last week. You know, when your focus is backwards, because that's always what it is. The victimization is a mentality of looking back to something that happened, where in Christianity, our focus is always forward to what lies ahead. He who has begun this good work in you will complete it, right? Everything is forward thinking, forward thinking, forward thinking. So you can help people in that. And there's where this title comes in, it sure beats hell. Because when people start becoming victims, you know, you could no matter what bad situation they're in, no matter really in the truest sense, if we understood the seriousness of hell, if we understood the magnitude of hell, the the damnation that's associated with it, the you know, you think of what hell is defined, you know, in scripture. You know, when we talk about hell, as much as Jesus does, he talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. You know, it's amazing that, you know, in church, we don't talk about hell. It's like, ah, you know, it's not annihilation. It's a place. And people are going to spend eternity there, eternity separated from God. Even in the world today, God is still here in this world. I can't fathom other than what I read in the book of Revelation. And for the women in our church, it'll be a fascinating study as they go into this in the fall. Of thinking about what is life going to be like after the rapture of the church when the church is gone and the spirit in the truest sense is devoid in this earth it's like you know it's like burger king in a spiritual sense you're going to go god's going you want it your way have it your way and all of a sudden you're left to your own devices we're getting a taste of that right now as we reject god you know as as a people as a country in, the, in, in many ways thank god for the believers in this country that are being light and being salt because once that's pulled and it really all hell is going to break loose but you think about that when if you no matter what you're suffering through if someone just looked at you and stopped you in that moment when you become bitter and you gossip, you backbite, you complain, you go if they just looked you right in the eye and they went, you know what? Let me tell you something. Sure beats hell. Sure beats hell. See, you'd probably get mad in that moment, wouldn't you? Oh, what are you talking about? you judging me? It's like, no, I'm not judging you at all. But if you got what you deserved, you'd be in hell. And that, that's what Paul is bringing to the surface here because that would be a game changer for you. And it really is when you start to go, oh, if, I, if I really got what I did, you know what? I think I'm, you know, because all of a sudden you go, this is not really that bad. You know, have you ever heard the expression, these are the good old days? Yeah, and you look back and you go, hey, we, we were complaining about those days that we look back upon when we were in them. It just shows you how fickle we are. We go, these, they were the good old days. And someone that knows you go, no, they weren't. You complained all the time. We forget, don't we? Yeah, we so easily, easily forget. And so Paul here, he's reiterating his own feelings about the church there. Look there in verse one. He says, therefore, my beloved. Remember when you see that word, therefore, you need to ask yourself what? What's that therefore, right? what's that there for? And he's actually tying that back, I believe, to the previous verse when he's talking about the resurrection. So he's talking about in the sense you can go, it sure beats hell. you know, Because Jesus, as Paul, as Paul said, he goes, if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, then what? We should just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we surely die, right? Because if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, he says, what you believe, my faith, your faith, he goes, it's in vain. And we of all people should be pitied More than everybody else, because we have believed a lie. But if Jesus has risen from the dead just as he declared, then guess what? Hell is not our destiny any longer. Heaven is. He defeated it. First Corinthians chapter 15. Go back. Great chapter to read. Death was swallowed up in victory. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Who In Christ Jesus, our Lord. So he says, therefore, my beloved, look what he says talking about his love. He says, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and my crown. So stand fast in the Lord beloved. You know, he contrasts that, you know, what he says, like I said, in first Corinthians to the church there, he's like so frustrated with them because they're so carnal. They're so me centered, you know, ah! victim 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 and what did he say man he goes i am so glad that you know i didn't baptize any of you guys you you are an embarrassment you you're an embarrassment to the kingdom of heaven and he goes so he names two guys that he baptized you know he's like oh, well there's a couple of you there but for the rest of you because you're just carnal you're carnally minded you could be saved and be carnally minded but he's going but man being carnally minded it'll rob you of your joy because you're just your focus has become you Instead of the Lord. And so he's writing to a church back in Philippi that obviously, as we've shared in weeks past, that he goes, these guys ministered to him when he was in prison there. Because remember, he gets arrested in Jerusalem. He gets taken to Caesarea Philippi. He's placed in prison. So the church there in Philippi, they're doing what? They keep coming to him every week. They're bringing him, you know, fresh bread, something to eat, something to drink. Because when you were in prison, the prison didn't take care of you. You know, I, I read these memes, you know, in the last few weeks as, you know, if, uh, you know, if you want free food, you want free education, you want, you know, free lodging, free this, they go, you don't need to flee the country. Just go to prison. Because in our country, you get great medical. I mean, we, we've had guys that have come in and out of our church. They go, hey, I'm getting ready to go back to prison. And they're, they're not even in prison. And you go, what do you mean you're going back to prison? They go, yeah, I got to get some, my, some dental work done. Go, what? And they go, yeah, when I was in prison, I told them, I'm, I mean, true story told, told, went and saw the dentist was having dentures made to Hatchaby State Prison. And so he, you know, he gets paroled and uh, he tells the the dentist, he goes, well, you know, I got, I got my dentures. I need to get this done. And he goes, well, I get them done because I'm getting paroled. And he said, well, you know, well, you can get back, you know, and so he tells him, he goes, okay, so he's going to commit a certain crime that gets him right back there. So the dentist went ahead and ordered the, the dentures for him. Knowing he was going to get paroled, so he would be right back and he'd get him done. I mean, they know the system. You know, it was just, I was fascinated, actually. You know, I was like, wow, you really, you could do that? I mean, can you actually determine where you're going to go? And he goes, oh, yeah, this is how it works. And he's explaining it to me. Then he gets out again. And guess what? He's, he's looking at me. He's got, you know, a beautiful set of teeth that you paid for. <laughs> you know, and you go, huh. And you go, so here's Paul. He's going, no, that's not how it worked. If you didn't have people that cared for you, the government wasn't going to take care of you. You'd die, and so he's very thankful, and he's writing this letter, going, "Thank you." When I was in prison, that you came and you visited me, you cared for me, you loved me. You know, thank you, thank you, you know, thank you. And so he says, "You know, my beloved," and that, that's not a, a general term. We use that, like you know, from from the pulpit, I could say, "You know, beloved," you know, and, you could, and it takes on a different meaning than it really did in Paul's day. I mean, Paul is. This is very personal for him. It's kind of like, you know, more in the Song of Solomon, when you talk about my beloved between Solomon and the Shulamite, it's intimate. And that's how it is for Paul. He really, really loves these people. He's, not, he's saying, you know, not only are you loved by Jesus, but you're loved by me, that, that it becomes personal for him. And then he goes on, he says, you know, for my longed for brethren, you look at that. So what does that express? Affection. That he has, remember, so you understand the history of this, right? He hasn't seen them for over five years because he's in prison in Rome now. So he's five years removed from them. And so he's thinking about them and he has an affection for them. He's, man, I I miss you. You know, I I long, you know, to see. It's not like the country Western song that says, you know, if you won't leave, how can I miss you if you won't go, you know, type of thing. He's like, no, I I haven't seen you for five years and I, I long, I long to see you. You ever heard that expression, out of sight, out of mind? How about distance makes the heart grow fonder? What what do you think was on Paul's heart and mind? Do you think it was out of sight, out of mind? Or do you think it was distance makes the heart grow fonder? Yeah, I believe it was the latter of the two. And and that's what's coming through here. And, And again, when you read the Bible and you understand the history behind it, you go, you appreciate so much more what he's saying. It's not just, like I said, in uh, words for an editor that say, you know, you got to put some more, if we're going to sell this book, Paul, you got to fill it with some stuff. Every word, every word. Jesus said, he goes, you know, man can't live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Taking the time, you know, do a word study, you know, think about this. He says, you know, my joy. When you think about your life, what's the greatest joy in your life? you can ask it's a great question to ask you what's what's the truly the greatest joy that you have in this life some people will say you know it's my cat or it's my dog or you know it's my you know my car you know my house you know my hobbies you know whatever what what brings you the greatest joy or you you like paul he's going my joy my joy is people and and you think that's a very smart move isn't it because think about how sad that is when you find your joy in worldly things. Think about how dumb that really is in the truest sense. And you go, why would that be dumb? Because you can't take it with you, can you? I mean, to think about this. I mean, with knowledge, of some of the most intelligent people on this planet, intellectually, doesn't make you smart to be intellectual. That you would invest your whole life in accumulating stuff that you can't take with you because there really is a heaven and there really is a hell but paul's saying my joy my joy and my crown my crowning achievement in this life i shared with you last week it wasn't diadem you know the word for for crown there that you would bestow upon a king it's the word stephanus it's it's the the word that you would use for a crown that was placed upon an olympian so we have the olympics going on when you win they they give you a gold medal back then. It was a wreath that would, was placed upon your head. And, he, and he's telling the church, he said, you know, you're my reward. You're, you're my joy. You're, you're the reward of my life. And you think about that, the value then of people. That's what he's saying. Not the accumulation of stuff. It's accumulation of souls. You know, you think about Paul, you know, and his love for the Jews who rejected him, right? he said that he was willing to what to become an anathema right he said he was willing the book of romans tells us he was willing to become accursed for his countrymen that he was in a sense if he could he said i'm willing to give up my salvation that my countrymen might be saved that that's love <laughs> it wasn't possible you know you can't give up your salvation for somebody else like you go god i uh, i know they're going to hell so you know let's trade places you know um, it's like double jeopardy you know you can't be charged twice for the same crime. Thank God for that, because Jesus died for me and he died for you. And because he died for me and he died for you, if you put your hope and your trust in him, you can't be tried for the same crime, sins against God, because Jesus already paid the price for your penalty and mine. That's what we celebrate today, amen? You go, thank God for that. But we can't do that for another person. Every one of us has the right and the privilege to stand before God face-to-face and give an account of our life before him. To love him, to receive him, to reject him. And Paul's, he's going, Man, you're all these things, my beloved, you know, my affection for you, you know, my crown, my joy. You're you're what I find happiness in is people, not in things. And that's why he's troubled so much, because when you love people and then you see what's taking place between these women in the church and what these women are doing to the church. It, it breaks his heart. He's just like, you know, so he tells him, he says, stand fast in the Lord. And it's a command. It's not, it's not an invitation. It's a command to stand fast or to stand firm in the Greek language. It means to stand in one place, to be immovable, to be, uh, uh, to persevere, you know, to, be stationary. Again, Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 6. Many of us love that, you know, and he says, you know, when you've done all the stand, do what? Stand some more, you know, be immovable. What? You put on the full armor of God, you take a stand, and you don't give up the ground in which you're standing. Why? And you go, because the ground you're standing, like he told Joshua, is what? It's holy ground. It's a powerful, you know, visual when you get it, you finally understand it, you know, to be, you know, standing firm in the things of god be immovable you know don't be shaken in those things i again i read this to you i want to read it to you again it's so good in the life application bible it defines stand fast in the lord this way it says the way to stand fast or firm is to keep our eyes on jesus okay that's how you do it he says to remember that this world is not our home and to focus on the fact that Christ will bring everything under his control. You know, it's like, you know, all things work together for good, right? Do you believe that? All things work together for good. Does that say all things are good? So if you're, you know, if you're going through something right now that isn't good, is it safe to say it's not the end? Yeah. So if you're looking at something, that's why, you know, the sure beats hell. If you're going through something like that right now, you go, you're not at the end. This isn't the end because all things work together for good. The end of it will be good. So if it's not good right now, it's not the end. That's as common sense as you can possibly get in this. And it goes on, it says, standing firm means steadfastly resisting the negative influences of temptation. And that's what Paul's going to get into, because see, victimization is complaining, it's griping, da-da-da. Joy is doing what? Is he says, think and meditate on things that are pure, that are lovely, that are praiseworthy. And if those aren't the things that are coming out of your mouth, you can't blame that on other people. There's no, no way possible. Because what you say about other people is a greater reflection of you than it is of them. I think most of us would agree with that. And so it's, it's a it's, it demonstrates the darkness of our own heart. And so Paul, with these women, he, he keeps bringing them back to understand this. is Then stand firm in the Lord. Resist the negative. The influences of temptation, he says, false teaching or persecution, it requires perseverance when we're challenged or we're opposed, end quote. So in order to stand firm in something, you have to have conviction. So I love the fact that, you know, John will be teaching vacation Bible camp this week and teaching our children the fundamentals of the faith. It's not just, you know, going, hey, we're trying to just fill some time, you know, with the kids for a few days. No, we want, you know, we want them to get these, are, these, these truths, you know, these, these foundational truths of our faith that they can build a life upon. And, and it's so exciting to be able to watch kids, you know, grow in that. And so that they have conviction about what they believe. They know what they believe and they're convinced in what they believe. You know, we live in a, if it feels good, you know, mentality, you know, in the world today. And yet, you know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, when you think about not being moved, He said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus speaking, he says, "'Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them,' he says, "'I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, "'and the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, "'and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. "'But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and doesn't do them,' he says, "'will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand.'" And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Man, conviction, the word of God, standing on the word of God. You ever heard the expression, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything? Yeah, and Paul's going, make a stand. Make your stand on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. That's what he's he's declaring here. And then here's the key to the whole thing. He says, in the Lord. You might highlight that in your Bible, because if you get this and you understand the gravity, this is the game changer. This, these are life-changing concepts when you start to understand it. In the Lord. People are going to have disagreements. They're not going to agree about everything. They shouldn't. They're different. We're unique. We have different personalities. We have different giftedness, different you know, educational levels, different comprehension. But he's asking the church. He's commanding the church to take a stand in healing this division between these two women that they've started in the church. that has gone on way too long. You know, I'm reminded of what Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And there's where you'll find it. When you're not involved in the work of the Lord, it's easy to become bitter because it's all about you. When you're involved in the work of the Lord, you're too busy. I mean, there's too many things that, that it requires. He says, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You can't outgive God, right? Whatever you do for the Lord, He's going to reward you one day. You're going to stand before God and you're going to receive a crown. And in that crown, like I said, salvation is a free gift, right? But rewards aren't. That's not works that in trying to be saved, don't confuse that the works that you and I do as believers that we're gonna be rewarded at the Bema Seat. And the Bema Seat isn't the great white throne judgment where you're cast into hell. The Bema Seat is is reserved for believers to be rewarded for the things that they did once they came to Christ and to receive the jewels in your crown you know, for being uh, immovable and abounding in the work of the Lord. And he will reward. It doesn't matter if I see it or you see it or anybody else sees it. Guess what? God sees it. And that's what matters. That's all that matters truly in the end. You know, the half-brother of Jesus, James, he said a double-minded man is what? Unstable in all of his ways, yeah. And what happens? In that instability, well, it's being double-minded. You know, it's, it's just being tossed to and fro by the cares, you know, of this world. Verse two, it goes on, he says, So I implore, I implore Yodia and I implore Sinche to be of the same mind in the Lord. You know. It's interesting when you you think about these two ladies here. I mean, there's a scary thought. What do you know about these two ladies from reading scripture? We don't know a whole lot. We don't really, we don't know any details about the argument. They're not mentioned anywhere else you know, in the New Testament uh, that by name, you know, we can believe maybe in the book of Acts when Paul plants the church at Philippi and there wasn't a church there and he ends up down by the river. Remember, you know, when there wasn't a synagogue, you had to have 10, 10 male Jews to form a synagogue. So they didn't have an, obviously 10 male Jews to form a synagogue, but they had women there. So since they didn't have a church, they would meet down under the law by a river and not a lake but a river because a lake was stagnant right and a river represented what living water yeah so it was to, so they met there and, and you know most likely they were they were women that were there I mean that's reading into the doesn't mention them like I said specifically by name but obviously that's probably a, a good educated guess I would think at that at that point but I love their names Yodia her name means good journey good journey or have a good trip you know. Kind of an interesting name. Now, Sinche, though, how many does anybody have a dog named Sinche? You know, you should, because it means lucky. How many anybody have a dog or a cat named Lucky? Yeah, a lot of people do. Yeah. You know, you go, well, so now you can go. So you, you get mad at me. When I was a child, now my wife does it though. I get scolded for something. She doesn't call me Mike. She says, Michael. Michael. And if I'm really in trouble, it's Michael Reddick. Reddick was my uh grandmother's maiden name and my wife will say michael reddick so when your your dog or your cat if his name is lucky you get mad at him. you go Sinjay, stop that you know and here's paul good journey lucky these these two women not living up to their name here okay that's what i say not really living up to their name but there's a problem and their problem and this is when you know it's a problem when your problem becomes everybody else's problem you talk too much that, that's what happens when your problem becomes everybody else's problem, you know, and these these ladies' problem has become everybody else's problem, and he wants it to get resolved, and so he does it. He appeals in a very, you know, gracious way, you know. Uh, again, they're prominent women. He recognizes that. We, we see that in verse 3 where he says, they labored with me in the gospel. I mean, there's that's significant, you know, but like I said, you know, most, most commentators uh, believe Yodi and, and Sinche, like I said, were amongst those, the first women there uh, in Philippi. And yet I think of this. I mean, this is embarrassing. Their names are listed in Scripture, right? But it's not positive. I mean, so over 2,000 years later, I'm reading this today in Bakersfield, and their memory is of a division that they caused— in the church at Philippi the church that Paul planted there so you think about your life today you don't have to go 2000 years just go 100 years from now you know if somebody was to read about your life they go what's your life what's your what's your legacy what what's your testimony would it be when you think about in the life of the church you know are you creating hurt and heartache are you are you a labor are you making a difference are you serving are you giving are you taking you know um i mean there's so many different things to think about and it and it's really is an important thing especially i always love how the lord does that especially for all of us today in light of communion because again in first corinthians chapter 11 the apostle paul said before we receive communion we should do what we should examine ourselves and see are we in the faith are we god you know what are the things in my life am i truly really loving you, if I just kind of got comfortable in my life and, you know, and I, I my day's all mapped out, you know, da, da, and we're not even being led in the truest sense any longer of God to wherever he wants to lead us to go. Um, and again, it's a great thing to do. He, he died for you. I, I love this. You know, Jesus died that you and I might have life. He gave you life. And I love thinking of it this way then. What you do with your life, you know, him dying for you was his gift for you. And now what you and I do with our lives is our gift to him. And it's a great thing to think about on a, on a communion Sunday. In the Lord. And again, Paul's not just doing this to throw around a, a spiritual phrase here. He's offering the solution. And this is why I said, entitled it, Sure Beats Hell. Because he doesn't try to appeal to their argument, because that's what we do—we try to listen to people and we go, "So what are you complaining about?" You know, we listen to all that, and you go, "We're not called to." That—that's the—that's the ploy of the enemy. That's how he sucks you in into what that person wants you to hear. But if all of a sudden you flipped it around and you go, "Sure beats hell," you would listen and you go, "Hey, I'd I'd love to, you know, empathize and sympathize with you in this," but you go, "In the truest sense, you know." If we all got what we deserved, it'd be hell. It'd be hell. It sure beats hell. And so Paul, what he does is he takes their argument that in the truest sense probably is outside the Lord. I bet it's not doctrine that they're arguing about. You want to bet? You know, I bet it's something petty because you think about our our arguments for the most part. what What we get into and yet he brings it into their relationship with the lord he said he brings it in the lord so now now put it under the microscope of in the lord bring it before the lord you know how does this look with regard to the kingdom of heaven how's this going to look you know there's an expression i love it you know people that just you know older wisdom that have lived long enough Sometimes they'll, they'll look at it and they go, Hey, you know what? Um, I hear what you're saying, but you know, is that going to matter like a week from now? Is it that big of a deal? Will you even worry about it a week from now? I mean, is it worth fighting over a week from now? Or how about two weeks from now, about a year from now, about five years from now, about 10 years from now, hundred years from now, will it really matter? And people go, mm, probably not, you know, and that's a great way you go. Cause that's what Paul's doing. He's going, look at it in light of not the, not the world, the world's going look backwards right oh look what they did to us so you know they owe us this they did this they did this they did this. this. Paul's going no that's victims of your past you don't have a past if you're in jesus today forgetting the things which are behind and pressing on to the upward call of god you're a victim of your future he's he's all those things that we don't understand everything but all things work together for good those are stepping stones into a glorious future in jesus so he's going to bring it into the Lord. What is this doing in your relationship with the Lord? So you can have your problems. You can have your complaints. And you go, what is God trying to do in your life with regard to your future? Sometimes it's just going, God, thank you that you saved me. Thank thank you. And that's, I believe, what he's doing with these women here. He's in the Lord. Because he goes back to chapter 3, verse 21. His, remember the resurrection. You know, Jesus died for you, and he rose again. That what? Proof that our sins are forgiven. Thank God. It wasn't that Jesus died, it's that he rose again, right? Anybody could die, but he rose again for us, the proof that our sins are forgiven. And I love that. See, I can have a perspective, you can have a perspective, I can have an opinion, you can have an opinion, but you know what really matters? In the Lord. What does Jesus say, right? That, that's really what matters. My point is, you can be technically right about an issue and you can be spiritually wrong. That's, that's the danger. I'm taking this marriage counseling class, and one of the interesting things about the, the class is you know, when they talk about counseling with couples, biblical counsel, is not even to focus on you know what things a couple has in common. But to focus on the purpose of marriage. What's your purpose? Not what do you have in common. Matter of fact, not even so much what you don't have in common, but what is your purpose? What what was the purpose for your marriage? When you can get a couple to start really thinking about what their purpose is in the Lord, then the problems start to take care of themselves. You know, it's kind of like Paul says, I run with endurance the race that's set before me what laying aside the weight and the sin that so easily entangles me you start dumping stuff because you want to run faster and you go and we're just not gonna you know we're not gonna get messed up with this because it's it's just the enemy trying to distract us from what god's purpose in our life and there's something that's so freeing about that and so he tells them you know that hey they need to be of the same mind in the lord so you focus on your purpose focus on your future get your eyes off yourself, get them on Jesus, and man, you go, there is, there's freedom, freedom in that. So much freedom. There was an article written by the American Psychological Association. You think about the, the issues that we have, you know, like in the life of a church. They studied an orchestra, and an orchestra is, is really, it's a fascinating thing. You know, there's all these different instruments, and you have an orchestra pit, and they're all crammed in there and this beautiful sound that comes out of it. And in this uh, psychological association questionnaire, they asked the orchestra members what they thought about the other people in the orchestra. And this is fascinating. So this is what the, the orchestra thought of one another, right? The percussionists, they were they were seen to be insensitive people. They were unintelligent and they were hard of hearing. Yet they were fun-loving. That was the positive, okay? The percussionists. The string players, they were seen as arrogant. They were stuffy. They were unathletic. The brass players, they were deemed to be loud. Uh, the woodwind players were considered to be quiet and, and meticulous. They were held in the highest esteem, but they were considered to be egotistical. And, and you, you read this and you go, man, how did these people get along? What happened? What happened? Well, what do they do? Once they hit that orchestra pit and they sit down, they subject themselves to what? The conductor. They put aside all their thoughts, all their feelings, all this, and they focus on the leader of the band. And that's what Paul was declaring. That's what we need to do. If we're going to be fruitful, if we're going to be successful, we can you can have your thoughts, he goes, you can have all those things, goes, but man when you, Sit down. When you know, Your purpose then in this life is you fix your eyes on the conductor. You fix your eyes upon Jesus, the leader of the band. And you and I, as we make that declaration, as we walk to the beat of a different drummer. That's what that's what Paul's declaring. That's, that's how they get through this situation. That's what he's telling these women. You know, he says that I urge you also in verse three, he says, true companion. Help these women who've labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, who's a man, says, and then the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are what? In the book of life. That's what it's all about, in the book of life. It's not about anything else. All that matters in the, really in the totality of life, when you add it all up, is is your name written in the Lamb's book of life, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. What did Jesus say? He goes, hey, don't worry, if you know, how spiritual you think you are, and even if this, the demons of hell are subject to you, right? He said, rejoice what? In Luke chapter, in chapter 10, verse 20, Jesus said, nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Amen? Of all the things that we could get sideways on. You go, today what we need to come back to is, you go, hey, your name, if you're in Christ Jesus, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Your name is written in heaven. That, that's something. Isn't that easy for us? Many times just lose sight of that. You walk with Jesus for a long time. Go, oh, yeah. No, I mean, we, we should never grow past, you know, just the pure joy of knowing that, man, your name, my name, if I'm in Christ, if you're in Christ, is written in the book of of life because with that comes peace with that then comes joy that's why like i said i could say it sure beats hell because nothing can compare to what is in store for us and he closes with this in verse 4 he says rejoice in the lord always again i will say rejoice again he's writing this from a jail cell right rejoice in the lord always again i say rejoice where i thought i saw cosper in here cosper here one of the first times i met mike Kosper, he did a men's bible study you know for us and and if you know cosper he can't sing you know but he thinks he can well he knows he can't sing but but he's not afraid to sing he's one of the bravest men i know and so i said, hey mike you want to sing and he goes yeah and so he tries to sing this you know pastor chuck had a beautiful voice pastor chuck smith and Mike went to Calvary Costa Mesa and sat under Pastor Chuck for years, and so he knew all the songs that Pastor Chuck ended the service with, and and uh, so he would he got up and he sang this one. But he but he brings this one up all the time. So when things happen, and it's it's kind of funny, and you can do this. I mean, you can you can look at somebody and you can say, you know, hey, it sure beats hell when they're going through something, and that will get some people's attention. But this is this is probably a better way, okay, and. It's either going to have people, and because I've watched it happen many times. It's either going to sway them in a really positive direction, or they're going to hit you. Okay? It, it doesn't, there's no middle ground I've found in this one. And, but yet, if somebody's really like frustrated, and they're angry, and they're bitter, and, and they're just pouring this out, and you do what Mike Cosper would do. You stop, and you go, hey, hey, sing it with me. And I want you to sing this with me real quick, because I sing like Cosper, okay? As you go, rejoice in the Lord always again, I say rejoice. There's a cat. That goes, yeah, because we do this, all this happens in staff meetings. This stuff will come up, and, you go, and he'll he'll do this. It's like a tension breaker, right? You go, rejoice in the Lord always again, I say rejoice. Yeah, so you could do that with people. So I just want to encourage you, try it this week. You know, you don't have to know how to sing. You can say it, okay? But... They'll be, they'll, they're starting to go off. They just start to get bitter. They start to go in the wrong direction. Just look at them and you go, hey, hey, real quick. You go, I got a word for you. Rejoice in the Lord always again, I say rejoice. And they go, and then they go, come on, come on, do it. And, they go, and what do most people do when they're mad? No. You go, come on, you want to. There, there's joy inside of you that's just dying to get out. But you got it, but pride, right? Ego, you know selfishness, you know, me, 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 me. You go, kill it, kill it. Best way to kill it is what? Worship. Worship Jesus. Bring it to him. Go Rejoice in the Lord always again, I say. Rejoice. I'm not going to stop the service until you sing it. So if you want out of here, you need to sing this song, okay? Rejoice in the Lord always again, I say. Rejoice. Can you do the hand clap? Well, I'm not going to let you go until we do a hand clap. We got communion to do still anyway. So let's do this. The little hand clap is so good because that's the part that either puts people over the top to freedom or gets you slugged. Okay, that's the part because it's just I don't know what it is about that, but you go rejoice in the Lord always again. I say rejoice there. (laughs) There he is right there. Give him a round of applause, Mike Cosper. (laughs) You get it. There's something about that, worshiping the Lord, getting our eyes off ourselves, And that's what it's about when he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. What he's doing is he's turning me and you from our focus being on me and you to get your eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of your faith. And there's freedom in Jesus. Amen rejoice in the lord always again i say rejoice there you go all right let's pray and invite the worship team to come out and we will receive communion you're going to be able to do this on your own today and uh, take that as they're leading us in worship and um, (laughs) it it takes skill to get that little wafer off the top there i just how many struggle with that every month? Is there anybody? I just okay. I'm not alone in that. I sit back there. My wife, she has to grab it from me and hey, honey, I, I, can't, I can't, I can't get. It. So I might be calling somebody to help me. But uh, you take those and and enjoy communion today. We have so much to be thankful for. Amen. What God has done for us in Christ, the freedom that we have, and if you've never opened your heart to Jesus, man, I can't think of a better day to do that. To recognize that. You're, you're a sinner and you are headed for hell, but there's salvation in Jesus. And today, your name can be written in the Lamb's book of life, and you can sit there. And you don't even have to clap at the end. You can say, I, you know, I'm determined from this day forward. Is I'm going to focus on the Lord. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice and and sing that. Remind yourself of that when you get to those places. And if that doesn't work, then just look in the mirror and go, man, you know what? It sure be tell what I, what I, what I, God has brought me through. And uh, again, he will bring you all the way through. And so we do have so much to be thankful for and to celebrate today. Father God, as we just use this time, uh, Lord, to receive communion together, I do thank you for this church. I thank you for the love of so many that are here that love you and they love this body. They love this people. They sacrifice their time, uh, Lord, for one another. Uh, Not just while we're on campus, but Lord, when needs come up during the course of the week, whether it's driving across town and picking somebody up or taking somebody um, out of town or picking somebody up from way out of town and bringing them home. Uh, If it's picking up a meal and and taking it to someone's house or uh, Lord, dropping off a a blanket from our Mary Martha group to someone who's going through a very difficult uh, season of life. God, there's so much love in this place, and I thank you, uh, Lord, just for those that, God, you've planted in this church, and God, that you use week in and week out, uh, Lord, to reveal your love and your care. And Lord, we recognize that we're sinners. We, it's easy for us to get so sideways about stuff. We live in a world that does focus on itself, and and Lord, forgive us those those days, those moments where. Uh, we turn inward, it's ugly, we don't, we don't even like ourselves in those moments, and it's why, Lord, we surrender afresh today to you, and, and are thankful that, Lord, you who begun that good work are faithful to complete it, and so, Lord, help us to recognize today those sins that, Lord, separate us from you, and to bring those things to the cross today, thanking you and praising you, Lord, that, God, you have forgiven us of those sins, that's what you came to die for, And that we'd leave them there and that we'd walk away today as a church in freedom, Lord, and experience your joy afresh today. And Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that it's because of you. It's not anything that we've done, but Lord, that you loved us. And Lord, it's what drew us to you. And it's what keeps us, Lord, coming back to you. And Lord, give us that same kind of love that we'd be uh, not just caring, but Lord, we'd be forgiving when people do fail us, Lord. And Lord, thank you so much for never giving up on us. Thank you that, Lord, as we receive communion today, we're reminded that, God, you're not just with us, but that you're in us. And as we go from this place, by your spirit, you lead us and you'll guide us, Lord. You'll provide the peace and the comfort and the joy, Lord, all the days of our life. And Lord, we love you for that. And we thank you for that. We bless you because of that, Lord, today. As we pray, we do. In the wonderful name of Jesus, amen.